0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we pray as Moses prayed, show us your glory. Lord, we pray as Jesus prayed for us, show us his glory. Lord, we need to see you. We need to see your glory. We need to see your love. We need to see Jesus crucified and resurrected and ascended on our behalf, Lord. And we pray that you would do that work this morning. It's a work that only you can do. I wouldn't even bother if I didn't believe that your spirit is already here and that he is prepared to glorify Christ. And so we just pray, come. We thank you for for being here and inviting us into this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to to remind you guys of where we're at here in John 17. Um, This would be Thursday night, April 2nd, 33 AD. Okay? You're like, boy, that's very precise. But that's when it happened. Jesus had just had his final Passover meal with his disciples. It's what we call the Last Supper. And they were walking from the upper room outside of town to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus knows that this place he's headed to is the place where he'll be betrayed by Judas. And then later he'll be tried, beaten, crucified, and die. And it would have been a well-lit walk. I mean, Passover always comes with a full moon. And so on this well-lit walk, as they're walking out from from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stops to pray this prayer in John 17. And it's the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus, and it's a goldmine. I mean, people have spent weeks and months and years in this prayer. And we're gonna just look at a couple things this morning, though. We're gonna look at that this is a prayer only Jesus can pray, firstly. And then secondly, we'll say this is a prayer for us. So I want to start with, this is a prayer only Jesus can pray. Jesus was not a mere man, and we can see that in this prayer. You guys have heard, I'm sure, of the Lord's Prayer. You know, what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But that, guys, is not really the way Jesus himself prayed. It would probably be better to call that like the disciples' prayer. um, Because there's things in that prayer, there's one thing in particular in that prayer that Jesus never prayed. He never prayed, forgive me for my debts. Jesus had no debts. He had no sins to confess. And just like that, in this passage here in John 17, there's things he prays here that we can never pray. This is a prayer that's uniquely his. The first thing to notice is, is that this is a prayer of a person who's saying that he's going to return to a place he was, and it's a prayer of somebody that's, that's saying that he has always existed. Okay, and we see that in verse 5. He says, now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Okay, you're not going to pray that, right? Verse 24, Father, I desire they also whom you've given me may be with me to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. This is a person praying who existed before the world existed. Okay? Jesus' life did not begin at his conception like ours. Micah 5.2, the prophet talks about Jesus to come, and he says, But you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come one to rule Israel, whose comings forth is from of old, from ancient times. Okay? So he's a being, Jesus Christ is a being that has existed before the foundation of the world. So this is a different kind of prayer, right? This isn't a prayer where we pray. And he's returning home. We can see in verse 11 and verse 13, he says, I'm coming to you. Jesus is returning to this life that he shared with the Father and the Spirit before the creation of the world. It's this friendship of three persons. And it's an exquisite kind of life he's returning to. It says in verse 5 and verse um, 24 that it's, it's a life it's a relationship of love and glory and these are the two things that we look for you know in our relationships is love be fully accepted fully loved fully wanted and glory for our relationships to be about something bigger than ourselves and so he wants to return to this and Jesus is excited right he's praying he's like I'm coming home I'm going to be there soon he's excited about it and Jesus said we should be happy for him you realize that? In John 14, 28, he said, you heard me say I'm going away and that I will come to you. And listen to this. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I say I'm going to the Father. So we should be happy for him. Hebrews chapter one says that he is now ascended in the presence of the Father and the Spirit and he's been anointed with the oil of gladness beyond any of his companions. He's the happiest of all beings. And the good news, guys, is that is that the gospel is about how we can join him in that. You know that? I mean, the the, the eternal life, guys, in the Bible is about more than just escaping hell or having heaven. Do you guys realize that? It's a very shallow view of heaven, of, of, of eternal life to say it's just about avoiding hell or going to heaven. It's about getting God. Take a look at verse three. Jesus says, this is eternal life. And you think, what is it? that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is about being invited into a relationship the Trinity has enjoyed forever in the past and to be welcomed into it. The most loving and glorious persons to be invited into it. And the gospel is a conspiracy that the Trinity hatched before they made the world to forgive your sin and invite you into full fellowship and joy and relationship with God. That's what the good news is about. And Jesus can't wait to go back there. Isn't that cool? We can tell something of how wonderful heaven is, is because he is so, um, he's got such deep anticipation about it. So only Jesus could pray that, okay? And only Jesus can pray the next thing. Only Jesus could pray, glorify me. You guys do that in your prayer? Look at verse 1. Jesus, when he had spoken these words, lifted up his, his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. Do you guys do that when you pray? Glorify your son, that your son may be glorified. What is glory? It's really important to know what this is. He says, glorify me. Glory is, the glory of God is God's perfections put on display. God is the most beautiful, amazing, awesome in the real sense of the word, rare, um, set apart, uh, unique being in the universe. And his glory is when we see that, when we appreciate all that he is. And what does it mean to glorify him? Uh, When we glorify God, we don't make him more glorious, It's not like he's a Christmas tree and we're throwing ornaments on him, you know? Like, hey, let's make him more glorious. When we glorify God, when when we're called to glorify God, all we're called to do is simply expose how glorious he already is. We're not making him look better. We're showing showing people who he really is. Um, The Bible uses the word glory and magnify as synonyms. And John Piper has this great thing where he says, you know, what do we do when we glorify God? What do we do when we magnify God? And he said, we don't magnify God the way a microscope magnifies a bacteria, right? And bacteria is very, very small and you need a microscope to make something tiny and insignificant look big, right? He says, we don't magnify God like that. We magnify God like a telescope magnifies a planet, okay? It's a massive thing and we're magnifying in the sense that we're trying to see him more like he really is. That's what it means to magnify God or glorify God. And so what Jesus is praying here is he's saying, listen to this, Jesus says, highlight my perfections so I can highlight yours, That's what Jesus is praying. This is not a prayer we pray. This is something that just Jesus does. We don't pray this because we don't have perfections to be be exposed, to be shown, but Jesus does. And so Jesus says, glorify me. This this request to glorify him has actually been answered next week in the next two chapters. We're gonna look at 18 and 19 in one week. We're gonna see the, the crucifixion of Jesus and that is the place where Jesus is glorified. You see that throughout John that he views that as his glorification. On the cross, Jesus Christ displays his perfections in his salvation of people. Another thing that only Jesus can pray in this is that he prays that he's finished his mission. You see it throughout here. He says, you know, you know, this mission you gave me, I completed it perfectly. Okay? You see that? He says, he says that mission you gave me, yeah, I, I got that done. I'm all done with it. I took care of it. I did it perfectly. In Jesus' prayer, he doesn't recount his sins. He has none. He recounts his successes. We don't pray like that, do we? Say, hey, you may have noticed that I got everything done that you said. You know, like this is his prayer, right? Verse 4 I have glorified you on earth and have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It's done. Verse 6 I have magnified your name to the people whom you gave me. Done. Verse 12 He says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, and I've guarded them and I've not lost one. Verse 14 I've given them your word. You see how he's saying, I did my mission. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I gave to them. Jesus' work of discipleship, of training a band of disciples, is done. He did it. He did it perfectly. Jesus has perfectly and successfully handed off his mission to his disciples. Look at verse 18 again. It says, He says, As you, Father, have sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. It's like, I was sent, now they're sent. And you know what's fun about this? We're sent. It's, it's a chain of discipleship that's been handed down. It's our turn. It's our turn to be those disciples that have been sent into the world. You might say, well, I grew up here. Well, as soon as you became a Christian, as soon as you became saved, as soon as you saw the glory of God and understood the gospel for the first time, you know what you were? You were sent into the world. Just like Jesus was sent into the world, his disciples are sent into the world, you're sent into the world. Guys, discipleship is about handing down the mission of God to the next person. I love 2 Timothy 2.2. And uh, it's easy to remember, 2-2-2, two, 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 right? Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2-2 says this. Paul says this to Timothy. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to hand it down to others. There's four generations here. There's Paul, Timothy, the people Timothy's going to disciple, and the people those people are going to disciple. It's a chain, right? And I love, guys, how much discipleship's going on in this church, Because you guys might not see it, but I see it because I talk to people and I know what's going on here from you guys, a lot of it. I'm always surprised. But it's not a program, but what it simply is is this disciples helping other disciples to do everything that Christ has commanded by the power of the Spirit. And you see that happening when people are meeting up with each other and they're encouraging each other with Scripture and they're sharing their experiences like, yeah, you know, I was really battling that and I really found that if I prayed this way or really found that if I did this thing or if I, you know, this text really helped me, Right? We pray for each other and we hold each other accountable as, as the person wants some accountability. It's like, you want me to check up on you? I will if you want that. Um, we coach each other and care for each other. And like Jesus did, he kind of guarded his disciples. We guard each other until we learn how to follow Jesus. And, and it's really cool because new people are exposed to that too. Some people enter that chain and they don't even know Jesus yet and they don't know they don't know Jesus yet and they start to find out. And I, I just want to say to those of you guys who feel like you're missing out on that, you're like, I didn't know that was happening and I'm not really a part of that. Let me know because I would love to hook you into that chain somewhere, okay? Um, we want you guys all on board on this. But this is a prayer only Jesus can pray. Jesus is no mere man and we can tell by the way he's praying. He's praying in a way that says that he's preexistent that he existed before the foundation of the world. He's praying to, the God, to God and asking him to glorify him, right? He's praying and calling attention not to his sins. He didn't have any, but his successes. And I was just thinking like, can you guys imagine being in a prayer group? And so like you're in a circle, all the heads are bowed and stuff, and you're taking your turns, and somebody prays like Jesus. So this guy goes, and you don't know him that well, and he goes, Father, I'm just looking forward to picking up where we left off before the world was made. He'd be like, okay, that's odd. You know, but you get weird stuff in prayer groups. You know, sometimes you're like, that's a little off, he'll figure it out. And then it's like, God, you know that mission you gave me? As you can see, I've done it all. And you're like, man, we're gonna have to talk with this brother, you know? And then he's like, Father, show these people my perfections. Glorify me so I can glorify you. We're like, okay, church discipline time. We're like, hey, let's get you in a little straitjacket or something, you know? Like, you need help, right? It starts with peaking and then it's like, chuckling and then it's like ooh we got issues here only Jesus can pray this kind of prayer because he isn't a mere man and he proved it by overturning his own death which we'll see in a few weeks and so this is a prayer only Jesus can pray and secondly this is a prayer for you and we'll look at this a lot of people call this um, Jesus's high priestly prayer you'll even see that written in your bibles probably In the Old Testament times, there was a high priest, and once a year, he would enter a place called the Holy of Holies, which was the deepest part of the temple, only enter there once a year. He would come in there with a sacrifice, and he would pray for the people. He would be God's representative in God's presence. I mean, the people's representative in God's presence. And he even had a robe that had like 12 stones on it, and each stone was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was coming as their representative to go into the presence of God and pray for them. You must imagine what it would be like to be an Israelite and know, like, this guy's going in, he's going to pray for us. You'd be so excited about that, right? He's going into God's very presence. Well, the book of Hebrews in chapter 7, verse 24, says this, that Jesus has become the true high priest, holding his priesthood permanently because he lives forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him. And then listen to this. Since he always lives to make intercession or pray for them, Jesus prays, for us all the time. Do you guys realize that? It's, it's also in Romans as well, in Romans 8. How encouraging, guys, is it when you know that someone's praying for you? How encouraging is it like to get a text message and says, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you? You're like, okay, I got some more confidence here. You know, like, I think I could deal with this day. Somebody's, somebody's praying for me. What if I told you that Jesus prays for you every day specifically for you? That's what Hebrews 7 says, that he always lives to do this, that his, he had his uh, ministry of discipleship, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now his ministry in heaven for you right now is to pray for you. You know what's great about that? Jesus always gets what he asks for, doesn't he? He always gets what he asks for. But let me, let me ask you this, how much more encouraging is it when somebody not only says they'll pray for you, but prays for you in person? Like, how nice is it to, how encouraging is it to hear the prayer? And that's what I like about what happens here. A lot of times after service and stuff, people are gathered together and are praying for each other. How much more encouraging is it when you hear the prayer? Or you can, guys could do this on the phone, you know, hey, I'm praying for you. In fact, I'm going to call you right now, I'm going to pray for you. How much more encouraging is that to know what they're praying for you? Um, what if you could hear Jesus praying for you? That's what we have here in John 17, we have a window into Jesus's prayers for us. And it's so awesome that we even have this. You guys realize that like the other gospels don't have this. Only John wrote this down. I'm not sure why, but only John records this. And how wonderful it is that Jesus prayed audibly so he could hear it. And how wonderful it is that John would write it down so we could have this. This is a gold mine, guys. John 17 is a window into Jesus' high priestly prayers for you. It's a picture of what he's doing even now. And you might say, well, Eric, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is really Jesus' prayer for me. It's more Jesus' prayer for the original disciples. And I get what you're doing. You're saying, you know, I pray this for the disciples. He probably prays this for us. No, take a look at verse 20. It says, I do not, Jesus says to the Father, I do not ask for these only, these disciples he's with, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. This is a prayer for you if you're a believer, if you're somebody that's trusting in Christ. So what kind of things does he pray? I want to go through them real quick. And then my idea would be, you know, let me sketch this out and why don't you go back? Why don't you go back this week and just soak in this, you know, but I want to just kind of lay out some of the major prayer requests here. Um, First one is he prays for our perseverance. Look at verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Um, Do you guys ever wonder if you're going to make it? (laughs) You know, do you ever go through times when it's your own sin weighing you down or the troubles of your life or conflict? Do you ever wonder if you'll make it? you ever wonder if you can hold on? You say, well, you know, I'm 30 and like, I'm not, by the way. Yeah, I'm 30 and I don't know if I'm going to make it another 40 years doing this. Like, this is not easy. Am I going to make it? Jesus prays for you to make it. And Jesus always gets what he asks for. Guys, the only disciple Jesus ever lost, Judas, wasn't really his disciple. Jesus has never lost a true disciple, and he's not going to start now with you, okay? He's never lost a true disciple, and he won't start now. He also prays for our protection. Look at verse 15. I was talking to a brother about this this morning. Verse 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, which is a lot of times what we want, but that you keep them from the evil one. Guys, the evil one, Satan, is a real enemy of our souls. He is a real threat. But Jesus is praying for you. I love what he prayed for um, when he talked to Peter about this. And in Luke 22, verse 31, he says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. How creepy is that? Satan has demanded to have you, Jesus says to Peter. You're like, this is concerning that he might sift you like wheat. And I'm not agricultural, I have no idea what that means, but that is not good, okay? Sift you like wheat. And then what happens next? What's the next word? But, one of the many wonderful buts in scripture. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus does that for you. Satan demands to have you too. And he'd love to sift you like wheat, but Jesus' prayers are the reason your faith will never die. Next thing, he prays for our transformation. Look at verse 17. It says, sanctify them in the truth, meaning transform or make them more like Christ. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying for your transformation. When you experience the transforming power of this book, because this book has massive transforming power, when you experience the transforming power of God's word, even here and now in this room, it might be happening right now, you know what you're experiencing? The answered prayers of Jesus. You know, when you're experiencing that, you know, new freedom from sin that you're just starting to begin to enjoy, Jesus prayed that freedom into being. You realize that? Think about that. The next time you, you're sitting back, you're reading through the word and you come upon a, a passage and you go, man, I used to think this passage was impossible, but now I'm starting to see how, you know, God's actually transforming me in this area and changing my heart. And, and you know what you should do? You should go, Jesus, thanks for praying for that. His prayers spoke that into being. Jesus always gets what he asks for. Jesus prays that freedom into being. He also prays for our unity. Look at verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as we are one. Father, you and I, I am in you, that they may all be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love me. The stakes are high, guys. The state, when we think about our unity as a body, when we think about our unity as a community, as a local church, the stakes are high. Jesus says, do you guys realize that Jesus says it's our love for each other that proves to the world that we're really his disciples? That's in John uh, 13, 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples as you have love for one another. Not that you have love for the lost, that's important. But the way people come to know that you're truly disciples is your love for other Christians. Then the stakes are high, right? That's how they'll know. And Jesus says here that the way that the world will know that he was truly sent by the Father is our love and unity with each other. He says in verse 23, he says, so that the world may know that you sent me. Do you guys realize the stakes are so high on this? I mean, our unity, our love for each other, our oneness, our togetherness isn't just about like, yeah, it makes us happier. We have a better time or we're honoring to God. There's a missional issue here. Like this is how the world knows that this is all legit. Not well, because you might think like, well, I got all these answers to prove the resurrection was a historical fact, which we do, by the way. Let me know. I'm into that. Um, or, hey, I've got all this proof for why we should trust the Bible, and I can give that to them. Um, it isn't that that wins them over. Look at, listen to what Francis Schaefer said. He said, Without true Christians loving one another, Christ says in this passage that the world cannot be expected to listen even if we give proper answers. Let me read that again. Without true Christians loving one another, Christ says that the world cannot be expected to listen even when they've been given proper answers. This is important. Um, our culture, guys, is, and we're talking about this this morning, massively individualistic, right? We don't even feel it's just the air. It's what we grew up in. We're massively individualistic. It's about my life alone. It's about my immediate family alone. And it's—and that's what it's all about. It's not about a, a broader community. And that's just our culture. Every culture's got its own issues, right? But that's one of our issues. And, guys, people are becoming more and more about their own lives, more and more just about their immediate families. And yet Jesus says the way that the world's won over is by seeing our love for each other. It's not really about us individually going out there and winning people to Christ. How did Jesus send people out? You remember? At least in twos, right? It's about a community. And and the problem is is that our culture becomes more and more Christian, and we become more and more individualistic, and it's, it's a vicious cycle, isn't it? So our togetherness, the stakes are high. Our mission depends on our closeness as a community. But the cool thing is, Jesus always gets what he prays for, right? How can we be a part of this? How can we be a part of building oneness as a church? Um, To have oneness, we have to be together. You know, we have to find ways to be together. And I just say, you're already here. This would be a good place to start. And what's really cool with our service times and stuff like that is we're done about 11. And then we have this room till 12 and we're packing stuff up. And we don't really totally need you to pack stuff up because a lot of people are doing that already. But if you would stay here and you would just connect with people that are here, find out about their week, pray for them, connect with them. I mean, that's a whole hour. You talk about like, well, I don't have time for a small group. Do that then. I mean, that would be massive, right? When's the last time you had a whole hour with other believers to do those things? And, um, and maybe afterwards, you know, extending hospitality, You know, for some of us, we think of just hospitality as, you know, I have you over for dinner or whatever. Um, What about just, hey, you're going to go eat. Go eat together, you know, and maximize Sunday. I've been thinking about this lately because um, I think that when we try to push small groups, not just us as a church, but in general, what what people say a lot of times is, you know, Acts 2.42, you can't really do that here, you know. You can't really do all the things you're supposed to do as a church. You can't really be a church here. You come here preaching, worship, stuff like that. You need to do that in a small group. I don't think that's true. I think small groups are good. I think they're important. I think we should do them. But I, let's not cheapen this meeting and say that we can't do all these things here. We can do them here. We have the time to do it here. I mean, we have a prayer table back here, you get prayed for. And I'm not saying this because it doesn't happen. It already happens. I just want to make you aware because you might uh, psh, and not know. But there's awesome community happening here and then go eat and you've done all of Acts 242. Boom, done, you know? Um, so uh, lastly, Jesus prays for one more thing. He prays that we would see his glory. Look at verse 24. He says, "Father, I desire that them also, they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me before, because you love me before the foundation of the world." This is so cool. So Jesus' prayer and this is another way we know he's not a mere man His prayer is like, "You know what these people need? They need to see my glory. Isn't that true? I mean, if if Jesus is the best thing for our souls, then the most loving thing he can pray for is that we would see more and more of his glory. And so he prays for that. And so these are some of the prayers he prays for you. Just some of them. I mean, he prays for you very specifically too, doesn't he? He prays for you in all kinds of specific ways. He is your high priest. He doesn't just offer general prayers, he offers very specific ones because, unlike the high priest, he he knows your individual life. I, I, and, he, and I love what Robert Murray McChain said. He lived in the 1800s. He said this If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, imagine that. Imagine, like, you're in your room and you hear this, and you know, this is Jesus praying for you in the next room, and you hear what he's praying. He goes, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Isn't that true? He says, yet distance makes no difference. He's praying for me. Guys, if you're a disciple of Jesus, your high priest is standing in the presence of God praying for you. It's awesome. He's our high priest. And I was thinking about this um, the other day and I was thinking, you know what though? High priests didn't just enter the Holy of Holies once a year with prayers, did they? When the high priest went in once a year, he didn't just come with prayers, did he? What else did he come with? He came with blood. He came with blood. And Jesus would have had a clear reminder of this that night. This is a well-lit night. He's walking from um, the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is Passover week. And Josephus says that there were probably 255,000 sacrificial animals purchased and offered in a single Passover week. quarter of a million animals. All that blood would have poured out from the temple. And the way that they dumped a lot of that was into the Kidron brook. There was a brook that flowed there called the Kidron brook that they would have dumped a lot of that blood through. And it's this brook that Jesus had to cross that well-lit night. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus as he's walking along and on his way in the light of that full Passover moon, Jesus sees the Kidron brook full of blood. It was a reminder. It was a reminder of what he came to do. Because access to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, is easy for Jesus, right? He's already done his mission. (laughs) He has no sins. It's easy for him to return home, but it's not easy for us. He deserves to be there. We don't. There's no easy access to God for us. As the Book of Common Prayer says, um, we have left undone those things that ought to be done, and we have not done the things we ought to have done. We have sinned. And so Jesus enters into God's presence as our great high priest, not just with prayers, he came with blood, his own blood. On the cross, Jesus Christ came to do what those animal sacrifices could never do, remove our sin completely. And this is the man who prays for you. The one who decides your life based on prayer. He gets whatever he wants. Whether it's good or bad, he prayed it into existence. Everything that happens in our lives has come through the prayer ministry of Jesus. And who better to decide? Right? Who would you rather have decide every joy and every tragedy in your life than Jesus? I love what John Newton said. He said, how unspeakably wonderful to know that all our concerns are held in the hands that bled for us. Those are the hands praying for you. Hands that bled for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that. <laughs> we thank you for the fact that we have a great high priest who could who's not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but has been tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin, and that that same high priest has come to pay the full debt of our sin, and that he's taken his place in your presence to pray for us. And we pray, Lord, for those who are here who have no right access to you at this moment. We pray, Lord, that they would trust in the high priest Jesus, that they may not understand everything I said, Lord, but that they would understand that he has paid the full penalty of their sins and that they would cling to that and that they would boldly come to you. We pray, Lord, that people would be seeking forgiveness and freedom in your son this morning. And we thank you for all those whom you saved. I got to hear a brother's testimony this morning about how you saved him so instantaneously reading Romans 7. And all the other testimonies that are in this room, Lord, of your spirit just opening our hearts to see for the first time the beauty of Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord. And as we approach your table to take communion, we pray, Lord, that you would be honored in all that we do. Lord, send us out. Send us out as your people sent out on mission. Make us a discipling people, Lord, that we would just want to tell everybody, believer or non-believer, we'd want to tell everybody about your perfections and your excellencies, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.